A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Hi, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. I'm your host today, and um, I'd like to welcome um, just a, a really interesting gentleman to the show, Robert. Um, we call him Bob Sharavelli. Robert, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, you know, for all of you, uh, Bob is an expert. If, if, if I say this right, Bob, Bob, Bob really is an expert, not just in labor relations, kind of how he started his career, but also in acquiring great talent. And in today's world, talent is everything. We, we got to have the right people in the organization. We want to move the wrong people out of the organization. But finding that those right people and um, putting them to work, utilizing them properly, that, that's a trick in and of itself. And, and Bob is an expert at that. So today, what, we, what we're hoping to do is learn some things from Bob, how we can do it better, how we can apply this into our daily work. So, um, uh, Bob, you know, just again, nobody knows you. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your history. You know, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got to where you are today. I mean, how, are you, how did you get to being recognized as the expert that you are? Well, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Uh, the truth of the matter is I'm doing today what I wanted to do when I was 15 years old. I watched uh, the labor negotiations with the big three and it just enthralled me. And from then on, I was interested in all people related issues, human resources, labor relations. Um, uh, I have this firm called Strategic Labor and Human Resources. And uh, we've had that for about 22 years. And we help our clients not only find talent, but deal with their most complex, unsolved, costly problems, wherever it has something to do with the people in the organization. And as you mentioned, talent is such a big issue for companies these days. Um, Later in my career, I went to law school. And so we represent our clients, both as a labor and employment attorney, but also as a consultant that deals with issues of the workplace uh, the business issues that involve your people. Excellent. And so, so you know, thinking about the term labor relations, you know, one, one of the minds when I hear the, one of the things that comes to my mind when I hear the word labor is union. And, um, you know, you've got, you've got, even though you do a lot of work now, non-union talent acquisition, a big part of your history was, was, was working with unions and working between the two. Did, did you usually work on the company side or the union side or both? Well, I'm a little unique in that regard. I started my career as an economist at the research department of the UAW. And then after that, I became a board agent for the National Labor Relations Board. And then I moved towards the corporate side. And in that capacity, I've worked as a HR director, a chief HR officer, chief labor and um, employment counsel. And before I started this practice, I was part of a group that started up uh, automotive supplier where I served as their chief human resources officer. And in that capacity, we had union and non-union facilities. We had talent acquisition and management. We had safety and health. Anything that would come across a CHRO's table is what we worked on. So, so you actually, you do, you do have a unique experience because you, you were, you were part of the union at one point, and then you switch over. What was the catalyst for that change? Why didn't you just stay with the UAW? I mean, a lot of people make very good careers there, especially on the administrative side. What was the catalyst for change? Well, as a young professional, I was very interested in the labor movement. And having worked in the factories during college, I saw the value that unions brought. And when I got to the research department at the UAW, I met uh, one of the administrative assistants that worked for the president, And he could see that I was a pretty rabid uh, supporter of labor. And he said, you know, just hold on, young guy. I want to let you know that there are good and bad people on both sides. Matter of fact, my son is an engineer at one of the auto companies. And it started to make me think that a balanced approach was a more important approach. And I did want to work at the National Labor Relations Board because early in my career, that's where labor lawyers and people that did that kind of work really got a lot of their training after college. 
Um, eventually, I saw that it was in a corporation that you could actually make things happen in a way you couldn't if you were in a government agency or if you were with a labor union. The companies have the money. The companies have a certain level of dynamism. So it just seemed like a good transition for me. And because of the things I'd done in the past, I had a unique experience, not only in the union and the, and the labor board, but as a lawyer and as a business person. And that's how I got to doing the stuff I'm doing today. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, I, you know, helping with negotiations and all that stuff, uh, many of our listeners, you know, again, we've, we're going to have a mixed audience. Certainly we've got listeners that, that work for organizations that, um, that are union shops. They may, they themselves may be in unions. And we have a lot of people who aren't in unions. And as a matter of fact, if you've never been part of it or whatever, union is kind of the bad word, right? I mean, we don't, we don't want unions, ads, costs, et cetera. World has changed quite a bit in the last recent years as well. There's been a lot of decertifications, those kind of things. And, um, you know, obviously that's been the impetus of, of a lot of your change towards talent management and all those things as well. But before we go into those things, I am kind of curious, I, you know, what was it like negotiating um, or helping a company out in negotiations with unions now being over on the corporate side, knowing that, that we've got to protect the corporations and all of that. What, what were things that you had to do, you know, share a story or two and, 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 and how did you create wins, you know, so that, that people all were able to kind of effectively work with one another? Well, I think you hit it on the head. You had to figure out a way how to work with folks um, because the adversarial nature of labor relations can be very counterproductive. And I've done a lot of negotiations in the past. Quite honestly, I've lost count how many I've done, and I continue to do it even today. Um, over the years, you get a whole variety of personalities that come to the table. And there are many labor guys I know that are just waiting to write their book. And I guess in the back of my mind, I might put one of those together one of these days. But I remember uh, for United Technologies, we were doing about 11 different negotiations in the final quarter of this particular year. And we were traveling between all the different sites. I, I work with about 20 different international unions. And I remember we were in a little small town in Indiana and we were late, late at night. And the president of the local committee uh, had to negotiate at a particular time during the day because he was on work release from the prison. And the Indiana state prison system would let prisoners leave to make some money. And then at night they'd have to go back. Well, yeah. this particular president uh, was on work release for most of our negotiations. And I remember we were talking about dental benefits and this poor soul didn't have a tooth north or south. And when it got to dental benefits, he just opened his mouth with a real big smile and it was pretty much of a crack up. But you know, uh, in all truthfulness, um, everybody's just trying to do a, a good job, whether you're representing the interests of the employees as a corporate representative, or you're representing the interests of your member as an advocate. And I have been very fortunate um, over the last decades of never having to experience a strike always getting an outcome that served the employees and the business. And I think the, the punchline to all of this is um, it's important to understand the perspective people are coming from to have a very human centric attitude towards the people that are working in your corporation, because ultimately you not only want them to feel fairly treated, but you want to unleash their talent. I remember um, in the startup that I was involved in, uh, we had a lot of executives that rightfully so had a lot of the answers to the problems we were having. And we ended up um, putting together a program that tapped the employees for their ideas. And I remember we had a presentation uh, with uh, a group of employees that were trying to figure out why certain welding tips were failing so often and why it was costing the company so much money. And what all the engineers and managers missed, the guys and the gals that were working on those machines figured out a solution. And that is the gold that's laying on every office floor, every plant floor. And when we are able to tap into it, 
we have more successful businesses. Yeah, in in a way, you're actually touching on a on a on a prime theory of lean manufacturing, right? I mean, lean is all about getting the information from the bottom up and understanding what's going on. And the greatest improvements come from the floor, union or not. I mean, the information is there. The question is, how do you break down the, the barriers and drive information flow? And certainly, you've got to have healthy relationships in order to do that. Well, if you don't have a healthy relationship, which is really table stakes in this business, where you whether you're dealing with a union or not, whether it's a manager or somebody on the floor, if they don't trust you, they're not going to give you their best work. You know, the mind tells you what the problem is. Your voice and your hands work the solution. But if you don't have heart in it, nothing's going to get to the solutions and your best thinking. So that's really uh, table stakes in all of this stuff, whether you're a CEO or a, uh, a director in a human resource department. So, you know, maybe to take just a little bit of a turn here, something I'm really curious about, and this is, this is something I've wondered, uh, you know, most of the clients I work with are non-union. Um, so we have a little bit more freedom with what to do with the workforce because of contracts. You don't have to worry about things like seniority and those kind of things. We know that the basis of culture is, you know, comes from the group of people that you have in your organization. And when you're trying to design a culture, create a culture, one of the first things you do is identify core values. And you want to ensure that you've got people that fit the core values. So from the hiring side, hiring is hiring. If you're doing it right, you can work very, very hard. But if you get somebody who's diversely misaligned to the, um, to the core values and really toxic to the organization, in a non-union environment, there's always ways to kind of move that person out of the organization, whether it's utilizing at will or a number of other things. But what happens when you find that in a union environment where you've got contracts in place? How, how do you, you know, if, if you're a leader and you know that you've got some toxic people that have to go, how do you do that? Okay, so it's interesting. Um, I want to comment on something you said initially. The truth is most of your clients and my clients are non-union what is it? 6% of the private sector workforce is unionized. It's not like when I started in this business years ago, when it was close to 30, 35%. So pretty much every company we work with is like the clients you work with and they don't have a union, but let's say you do have a union. I can tell you when I first started in this business and for many years, the approach we took was a very traditional labor relations approach. Over the last 10 or 15 years, that approach has uh, evolved. Not only do we do the traditional labor relations, labor law approach that most people think about when they think about working with the union, but we focus much more on engagement and culture and organizational design are central to that. And second and third, we uh, focus on strategic communications. So we do the traditional and then we do the engagement and the soft side, organizational design. And then we make sure we have the right way to communicate that through strategic communications. Let me give you an example, a more specific to your question. You can have a bad relationship with any group of employees, whether it's union or non-union. You know, you might have a manager that the uh, people working for you don't like, and they have a harsh reaction to it. Matter of fact, you know the story of the rich group of people that took a charter boat down to the Caribbean? Okay. So they're leaving the cold northwest, northeast, and they're sailing this boat down to the Caribbean because they need a little bit of sun, and they hired a cabin boy. And boy, they worked this guy so hard. Matter of fact, they worked him so hard he didn't have weekends. They treated him horribly. They even played tricks on him. Well, when they got into the sun, they got a little bit of heart back. It, the warmth of the sun enlarged their heart. And they brought this cabin boy up on deck and they said, you know, we have treated you badly. From now on, you're going to work a standard week. We appreciate everything you do. And we're going to treat you with all the respect and dignity you deserve. And he said, wow, that is wonderful. Are you going to stop playing tricks on me too? And they said, yes. And he goes, I'm going to stop peeing in your coffee. So what I like to point out is yeah. people can resign 
psychologically or get back at you psychologically if you're a bad manager or a bad leader and you don't want to be drinking bad coffee. And that can happen in any environment with your professionals or with your production people or your office people. Um, But it reminds me of um, uh, engagement I had. It was with a, a large hospital system that had some aspects union, some aspects non-union. And they called me in to take a look at some negotiations with multiple bargaining units that had been going on for a long, long time. And the employees were disgruntled. Management was upset. Well, when we identified what some of the constraints were, and we knew that several of the constraints were quite divisive, we went to the Uh, main bargaining table and said, let's take these most divisive things. And in this case, it was healthcare, healthcare and uh, drug reimbursements. And we took it away from the table, away from the professional negotiators. And we had a series of meetings and this group of professionals, managers, rank and file and union officials wrote a plan that answered the question and they brought it back to the main negotiators. And you know, that's oftentimes a very political thing. And the negotiators were able to say, we like that set of recommendations. So, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. In the end, you wanna make sure you don't torture the cat and uh, get it done in the end. Uh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Okay. We have to, uh, we have to take a short break. So we'll be back in a couple minutes and we're going to shift kind of away from unions and into more of the, the corporate and the things that are going on today. So um, we'll be right back. Thanks. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Bob Charvelli. Bob, um, you know, one of the questions I have before we kind of change gears, you know, you know, I, I have clients that, are, that, that have been worried about becoming unionized. They, they worry about the costs involved, etc. One got very actually got close it, you know they they actually had a union come in and and um you know bring it as far as they could to a vote but um you know when everything was all said and done you know the problem that they had is they had some bad management on their their shop floor right they had people they had somebody who was treating people very very poorly in management and their their eyes were a little blind to it and realized once they took him out of the picture and put in somebody who cared about the employees, you know, the whole attitude changed back to the way it was. And ultimately the union got, got kind of voted out, but you know, it's, it's just this, this question of how do we avoid it? And, and um, you know, if, if, if we, we want to kind of keep things 
working right, that relationship with the employees is very, very important, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And, you know, most of our clients, and certainly sounds like most of your clients, don't have a union. With the union rate being as low as it is, what I would like to say, what the message I'd like to leave is, if you're a non-union employer, you can stay that way. And it's what we say or do as managers and leaders that determines if we're going to have a union knocking on our door or not. Um, it's just not uh, something that has to happen. And by having good, strong management systems and a respect for the employees, it's actually quite avoidable. Yeah, I know. I, I remember back, you know, in my corporate days, you know, back at Big Boy, we had this open door policy where we just, you know, anybody could walk in and talk to us at any time. And there were a number of occasions I can remember where, where the union was coming in back in those days and trying to talk to people and get things going. And our people just wouldn't even talk to them because they're like, well, we don't need you to talk for us. We, we could go talk to them anytime we wanted to. You know, if I wanted to talk to Chris, you know, all I have to do is go up front and knock on his door. If he's available, he talks to me. I would hear that stuff all the time. And, and that's what we did. That connection was so incredibly, incredibly important to us. And I find that that, that connection for any organization doesn't, doesn't have to be manufacturing. Any organization being able to connect with your employees is really essential. I haven't heard truer words than that. And, you know, in this period of COVID, through the pandemic and probably for the post-COVID period, one thing that's been highlighted to me and the folks I do this type of business with is that employees need to know that the management has their well-being at heart. We still have to run profitable companies. We still have to have productive companies. But it's clearer now than it's ever been that if you want to run your business, especially during this crisis, you have to demonstrate in real ways that your employees' um, well-being is at the heart of all of your decisions. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Okay, well, so I want to change gears. Um, you know, when you and I were talking over the break, you mentioned this this survey that, um, that you've conducted with, um, with a bunch of companies. And, and what's interesting is I think you were almost forecasting uh, what was happening. You, know, you, you, you went in and, and were talking to these companies about what was most important to them, what are their biggest concerns, et cetera. And um, I, think, I think the results are very, very pertinent to our audience, um, especially today. You mentioned COVID. This, this show, obviously, we're, we're live during COVID times, if any of you as, as our audience is listening to this as a recording at some point in the future. But the concerns are, you know, separate from any critical time. It's true concerns of businesses. Tell us a little bit about the survey and what you discovered and how you're, um, how you're helping companies through some of those answers. So at the end of 2018, I surveyed a group of CEOs and other C-level executives regarding their particular challenges and how the HR function was meeting those challenges. And there were two essential questions. What keeps you up at night as a CEO or a C-level executive? And second, when you think about those concerns, does your HR leadership and does your HR function solve those problems? And the response to the first question was really very telling. At the top of the hit parade was CEOs and C-level executives were first and foremost um, concerned about disruption and innovation. Now, back in 2018, if you were in the auto industry, uh, disruption or innovation might be a new entrant into the market or maybe a new vehicle platform like an electric vehicle. Second, they were very concerned about agile organizations. So when these disruptions hit, do they have the right team to address it and sur uh, sur sur uh, overcome it? Next and third on the list was operational excellence. Were they providing a product or a service in a, an efficient way to meet the customer's needs? And the last thing they were concerned about was profitability. Now you might remember in 2018, we had a very robust economy and companies were doing quite well. So the next question dealt with your HR function. And what was important about this, these C-level executives did not believe that their HR function fully understood 
the challenges and did not have a solution to number one, what they were confronting in business disruption and innovation. Number two, they hadn't designed total reward strategies to incentivize their employees on the most important mission critical items. Number three, uh, dealt with accountability for driving business outcomes and minimizing risk. You know, if you think about it, we all wanna be dominant in our market and we wanna do it with the least amount of risk possible. And lastly, they didn't think their HR function was driving managerial and leadership effectiveness and um, uh, excellence. They also said that they were confident the HR function would approach these concerns in a very traditional way. And those traditional solutions would be incomplete. And that dealt with the war on talent, the war for talent, increasing employee engagement, productivity and satisfaction, and excellence in their employment relationships. So I have a question then. You know, let, well, let me share a couple things because because this is a kind of a long way to get to the question itself. But I wonder if if some of the problems that that they're perceiving are a little self inflicted in how they've treated HR in the past and where we're at. But but it also could be kind of a chicken and egg thing. You know, in in my experience working with a lot of organizations, there are there are HR people who are let's call them on the lower end of the skills spectrum that are really kind of, it's kind of like the modern version of personnel from back in our days. You know, they, they handle legal, they handle the hiring, the firing, they handle the benefits and all that stuff. And then there are the, the, the HR people who are true strategists. And I usually find those in bigger companies because well, let's face it, these are more expensive people. These are good people. Um, I've, I've got a couple HR strategists that I work with in a couple different organizations who are just, just brilliant, just wonderful, wonderful people. What happens in my in in my vision is is that that some of that it really comes down to the the belief system of what HR is by the leadership team. So the the, the groups that have HR strategists believe that that HR and talent management is such an important part of the organization that that person sits at the top level at the table. But in many, many organizations, sometimes HR sits under the CFO or sits as just kind of a side function. Maybe they've got a management title, maybe they've got a leader, but they don't necessarily sit on the leadership team. And, you know, and what I don't know is, do they not sit on the leadership team because the, the company hasn't found the right person or has the company not come to grips with the importance of that function and having the right person sit at the leadership level? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well... I may be a little more harsh than you because I'm in the profession and I made an intentional decision to make this my life's work. Oftentimes, human resource folks are not at the table because they haven't earned their seat there. If you have a, an important business challenge and you can't provide a solution, and for HR people, it's the people-related solutions, then being invited is not, a, it's not necessarily going to happen. You know, if you think about an organization, you have head of finance and accounting, you have head of marketing, head of sales, head of operations. They deal with their specific area, but when it comes to the people related challenges of an organization, HR doesn't always earn its stripes. I hate to say that, but one thing that this survey solidified for me, and I've always had this sort of idea that this was in fact the case, CEOs and C-level or C-level professionals, C-level officers need to expect more and challenge their HR leadership more. If the HR leadership isn't bringing a solution, but is rather just doing an administrative function, they will not get to the table and maybe they should be replaced. So how do you do that? Uh, I, I mean, you know, uh, I can think of one of the one of the organizations I've worked with that needed a new HR person. And the first question the CEO asked me, he said, "How do I replace this person?" Normally, when I need to replace somebody, I go to HR. I mean, how do I how do I, I how do I find an A player HR person? I mean, you know, I got to go trust a recruiter. How do I run the search? How, I mean, how do you actually how do you do that? Especially if you're a small to middle market company. Well, 
I'm, a, I'm in retained search and we only do search for HR related um, positions and we only do them at the executive level. So first you have to know what you want that person to do in your business. What are those competencies? What are those challenges that you need to overcome? And once you have a clear sense of that, understand that there are folks out there that have trained themselves to be strategic and tactical and can move a, a company forward. Um, you know, just recently, Crane's uh, magazine identified uh, the HR leadership across the, the businesses they serve for their excellence. And I am proud to say that one of the ones they um, identified was Lineage Logistics. Lineage is the largest cold storage warehouse facility in the world. So if you think about their business model, they have to put, put food on grocery shelves. And during COVID, we know that a lot of grocery shelves were empty. HR in that organization was integral to making that happen. I can say in the case of Lineage, their HR team not only deserved a seat at the table, they opened the door and led the way. And I can think of a lot of large companies that can hire the best people in the world, HR or other things. And because of the culture, they get a mediocre result. But to your question, you need to know what you want out of your HR folks in the same way you know in finance and marketing in operations. And then search until you find that person. Because when you find that person, like any other member on your team, they will pay dividends. Yeah, I, you know, it's like we we said a little while ago. It's your biggest investment is, is your people, and uh, you know, like you, I, I just don't know any other way to, to go for a retained search. Um, you know, one more question. We've only got a couple of minutes left before we have to take another quick break. But um, at what point does a company need to shift from somebody who's just doing the tasks of HR, the legal, the benefits, those kind of things, to having a, a real strategist? I mean, is there a magic number? Is there a company size? Because, you know, some smaller companies, they really just need the recruiting and some of these other things. But but when does it become important to have that HR strategist and to really make the decision that it's time to take the leap and make the upgrade? Well, when you're doing your strategic planning for the corporation, if you're not identifying the people issues, you ought to be. And then you have to be really, um, I don't want to say harsh, but you have to be very matter of fact, are the people related issues, the critical people related issues being addressed? If at the end of that um, exercise, it, it's clear that something's going wrong, or maybe something's gone wrong already, then you need to decide how I'm going to change the team. If you had a manufacturing plant and they were doing very, very poorly, in a heartbeat, you'd look at changing operation management. With HR, it's not always so crystal clear, but that's what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from our standpoint, we look at it and say, when does when does performance and structure become so important that that you're not moving forward anymore? You know, it's 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 a sense. The leader usually has a sense that wow, you know, I just don't feel like I've got the right people, or people are stagnant, or I'm having to do all the work. There's there's all kinds of things that happen, and you know, I I, I don't mean to throw a number out, but my experience has been that when companies start hitting a hundred, hundred fifty employees, um. You know, it's time to be. It's time to have somebody from HR sitting at the leadership table, and and that doesn't mean just throwing anybody in there. But it's back to what you said. It's somebody who's very, very talented and needs to, uh, or or is able to to really bring the strategic conversation there. Somebody who can actually see where the organization is going and take charge of designing what the future org chart would look like and what the talent would look like. We have um we've come up on our next break. Um, this is a great conversation, Bob. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And um, we're going to come back in just a few minutes. And we'll, we'll keep on going on this, this, um, this topic because the, um, the search for talent today is harder than ever. It has been harder than ever. Yet there are some opportunities. And let's, um, we'll, we'll get into some, some conversation on how to solve that problem. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes.
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at TransformativeExperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back uh, kind of one last time with Bob for at least for this this show. Bob, it's been so great. Um, you know, uh, might even consider having you back, right? I mean, you know, let's let's keep going with the great information. But before we went to the break, we were talking about, you know, the timing and the, and the place and the need for having that HR strategist on your team. And um, I just didn't know if you had anything additional you wanted to chime in on before we kind of move on to the next topic. Do it before it's too late. Always be um, analyzing critically the people on your team. Make midterm modifications, and when you have to, replace. Yeah, you know, I I, got to tell you, probably the biggest thing I bump into is hesitancy. You know, people all, you know, leaders, you know, it's, it's funny how many CEOs, presidents, oh, yeah, you know, I'm always working. I make sure I got the best people on my team. But when you get right down to it, when it comes time to make changes, they delay and delay and delay and delay and delay. And it almost always costs them to wait. Um, we got to not be waiting on this stuff. It's too mission critical to have the right people. So today, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that there's a war for talent. We've all felt it. An unemployment rate has been very, very low for a long time. And you know, we could argue that that the economy was such that we could be seeing an uptick soon just because of inflationary reasons, et cetera. But still, getting and acquiring talent is difficult. Millennials, uh, you know, we hear a lot of excuses about them. I, I, I don't think that they're really that different than anybody else, but purpose is much more important. There's a lot of other things. And getting and keeping top talent has become a real challenge. Tell me a little bit about your process and how do, how do, we, how do we find, what's your advice for companies that are looking to get and keep their top talent? So first, I would say never stop looking for the best talent. In good times and in bad times, today, in a COVID period, and when we're post-COVID, This is not the time to stop looking for the best talent. There's always going to be more vacancies than there are good people to fill them. So even if my organization is full today, I should continue to look. Absolutely. You can buy a new machine, but you're going to have to have somebody walk up to the new machine and operate it. You're going to have engineering challenges. You're going to have to make sure there's somebody with a great mind and a great ability to execute to take care of that. And whether you're in good times or bad, in crisis periods or not, that should always be ongoing. So we continually look at what the future workplace is going to evolve into. And clearly with the pandemic, that future has changed significantly and it's changed pretty much overnight. We also realize that what we used to do in finding the best people for the organization is going to be different now. It's almost like an ecosystem where the employee experience that attracts newer groups, whether they're uh, from a different gender or a different generation 
or with different experiences is going to be key to finding that talent that will bring you into the next step. Competitive rewards uh, such as compensation and benefits, those are just table stakes. Legacy companies, whether you're an old manufacturer or an old service provider, still need a way to attract and engage folks that have that innovative spark in them. You know, if we think about Silicon Valley as being the most innovative and we think about legacy companies being the autos, the truth of the matter is those legacy companies can teach Silicon Valley companies something and the Silicon Valley companies can teach us something. And in the area of talent management, that is absolutely critical. So one of the overarching themes we deal with with our clients is the human resource architecture. Before we dive into executing on a search, we have to go back to the fundamentals of solid human resource strategy, the tactics and the fundamentals. The line executive with the folks we work with need to be the owner of the search. HR is gonna be there to guide the way. It's gonna be there as the organizational architect but it's that manager or director or C-level executive that has to own that search ultimately. And then you have to say, well, once we have this gap where we have to have just the best employee, you have to say, where do we find that critical talent? In the sciences and engineering areas or maybe management areas, we're gonna to go to universities or maybe we're gonna to go to established companies or maybe startups. There is a structured way to find out where that talent exists and you have to give that some thought. So you have to somehow, once you've put the architecture together and found out where this pool of people are, you have to increase your chance of acquiring them and getting the talent to move to your company. Got it. So any, any specific tricks you want to share? Well, what we have found in the engineering and technical areas that the most sought after people, those people that are making their companies more dominant through innovation and disruption are actually somewhat risk averse. Hmm. A great engineer at a startup company or an established company that's doing great things is there sort of on a mission and like I said, compensation and benefits are table stakes. Everybody's going to pay what it requires from the market. But you have to understand that that engineer or that technical person or that next great thinker isn't going to leave a sure thing. And that makes them somewhat risk averse. And so it's important to understand that to get that person to consider leaving, you're going to have to deal with some of their risk averseness. Meaning you know, what? You think, like contracts? Well, or? well um, okay, here are a couple companies that seemed like sure things that ended up being very risky. You may remember the car Fisker or the DeLorean. These were exciting places where innovators just went in droves. And they thought, we had a great design, we have a great market. But in the end, those companies went under. And so you have to have candid conversations with these folks so they can draw the conclusion what is risky and what isn't. There has to be some mission, that, especially with the younger professional. They're very interested in not only a lifestyle, but um, making a mark in their industry or maybe even in the world. So there has to be something exciting that they're going to work on. And then help them understand that even if your company isn't considered one of the most exciting startups in the world, that you can do exciting stuff and serve their risk averseness. That is, come to an auto company and do some cutting edge stuff and know that six months down the line, your company's not going to go out of business. Yeah, you know, I, I I can certainly understand that now. But even with more stable companies, I mean, one of the things that that, that I've seen, um, the other side of the coin. So so I appreciate what you're saying, but 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 it's been my experience that, um, 
especially some of the younger workforce, will jump for a few more dollars in pay. You know, they'll jump for a new job. And so, you know, you go through all this this kind of work acquiring them and how do you, how do you retain them? How do you keep them? So, so what about the ones that aren't risk averse, but, but are, are willing to jump for a thousand dollars a year or a buck an hour or whatever the case may be? I mean, you know, what are the, what are the things you're going to do to keep those people in play? Cause there is an investment, not just in acquiring, but also in supporting them while they're there. So we take a lot of time to meet the younger professional and the resounding message we get from these folks when we talk with them is they have a very low uh, expense. It doesn't cost a lot to live the life they want to live. And they are not willing to give up a lifestyle for a career. You know, when we were growing up, we chose a career. They've chosen a lifestyle. And so to retain them means you have to do things other than what we're used to as older professionals. You have to make things interesting. Social affiliation. Now, that's a little more difficult in these days, but you have to have things that say this is a community for you. And also understand that this is sort of a courting um, of the talent. And the really great companies are looking at the life cycle of talent in many more years than what do I need today and the innovation I need tomorrow. They might set up communities in their industry where they can meet these folks, or they may sponsor scholarships or identify talent in high schools or um, colleges and build an affiliation, build a loyalty before the people are actually ready to come. Um, You know, college rotation programs, very important when you have these internships and even for the more senior uh, professional, un- have, helping them understand that the quality of their life in this new organization is going to be wonderfully married with the mission of what they're trying to accomplish with the organization. You know, it means succession planning. It means maybe being a little aggressive in the uh, compensation market. It means leadership development programs for the mature, more mature professional. Very good. So, um, you know, shifting gears maybe one more time, but, you know, with COVID, there are certainly a number of people that have been furloughed. There are people that have been let go because companies are downsizing. Companies have gotten in a little bit bit of trouble. There's talent available right now. Um, I have clients, um, as I'm sure you do, that are utilizing this team to actually go after um, go after talent. I mean, it's it's a good time to, to find it and acquire it. Um, any advice that you have uh, for any companies right now and how to how to find them and how to how to make it happen, how to make that jump happen? Well, it's going to be real easy not to nurture the talent you have. It wouldn't be unusual to think that one or two people could change a market it, because it happens. So where you know what your mission critical um, challenges are. And the people that really have done a great job to acquire it, you really have to be over-communicating and nurturing in that relationship. First off, everybody responds to appreciation. Everybody responds to transparent, candid uh, communication. Those are just things that we should have as human beings. But where you have some talent that is important for your company moving forward, you have to really work at making sure they're satisfied. I heard of one company, it's not a client of mine, uh, they actually hired people that were called happy directors. Now, I don't know if that's something I necessarily ascribe to, but their whole job was to be in and around the workplace and making sure that people were having a satisfying, rewarding relationship with their empl- their fellow workers and the company. It's an idea. It's an idea. It's an interesting idea to, to say the least. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's essential right now to uh, over-communicate. That's a, a word coined by Patrick Lencioni, this concept of over-communication. You know, communicate well more than you have to. And especially when you've got people working from home, workforce split, 
travel's not happening. People are socially distanced. Communication is more important than ever. I can, I can consider a lot of examples um, that I've seen personally. The companies that are, that are staying in contact, that are checking in, that are showing appreciation, that will, will actually, you know, very often just check in on the well-being of their people who are working from home, who are now maybe isolated. These people are, are raving fans of their companies. And there are companies that aren't doing that, and these people are looking for jobs. I mean, it's it's funny, but I'll I'll get at least I'll get at least three or four people a day right now saying, "Can I send you my resume? Would you be a reference for me?" And all that, and you know, it's it's just an indicator that there's a lot of people. And if I check in on any of a friend, one friend of mine I talked to just recently, I said, "Well, wait, what's going on? I I thought you loved that place." He said, "Well, I used to." He said, "They've treated us so crappy since this has all happened." I don't, I, I, I just, you know what? I've seen the real company. I don't want to be here anymore. And I'm hearing too many of those stories. Those managers may be drinking bad coffee. Yeah. Yeah. They probably are drinking some bad coffee. So uh, what I would add to, to what you just said about overcommunication, it has to be meaningful and authentic. Yeah. A generalized um, statement of appreciation is no better than a feather in the wind. It has to be meaningful and authentic. And if you listen closely enough, whether you're a team leader on the floor, a fellow worker, a manager, or the CEO of the company, you will hear plenty to appreciate. Um, and it goes a long way. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, Bob, first of all, I've loved having you on the show today. This this has been some great conversation. We're, we're running out of time. I, you know, I, I wish we had another hour. And you know what? Maybe we can have another hour. So if we get some great feedback, folks, if you like Bob, let me know. You, you've got our email address. You can click on it through the show link or um, send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Um, again, listener at transformativeexperts.com. You can also send questions. If you've got a question for Bob, I'll, I'll pass it on and Bob will track you down. You know, don't, don't hesitate. Um, I, I, again, I'm, I'm hoping we can bring you back on sometime, Bob, and continue this conversation. People are such an important part of everything. Thank you for, uh, for being with us today. Chris, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate it. Okay, everyone. Well, that that's it for uh, for this week's show. And um, you know, as as always, I look forward to to next time. We've got some more great guests coming. Stay tuned, and I will check in with all of you later. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.